Welcome to Knocked Up, a podcast about fertility, pregnancy and women's health. I'm your host, Geordie Morrison, and I'm joined, as always, with Dr. Raylia Liu. Welcome, Raylia. Thank you. Welcome. Raylia is a fertility specialist, gynaecologist and the director of Women's Health Melbourne. Before we start on today's show, uh, we have a little favour to ask. If you're a fan of Knocked Up, please rate it on iTunes and we'd love a five-star rating. It really helps other listeners to find our show and the resources that we offer. If you do have any questions that you'd like us to answer, we're also doing an episode soon uh, to address questions from listeners. So please do send us an email on podcast at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. Today we're joined by a physiotherapist, Dr. Margaret Sherburn. Welcome, Margaret. Thank you, Geordie. Good morning, Raylia. Good morning. Mark is a physiotherapist with decades of experience who specialises in continence and women's health. She's a senior lecturer and academic at the University of Melbourne, where she's the coordinator of uh, the women's health program in the physiotherapy department. Mark was also the head of the physiotherapy department of the Royal Women's Hospital until 2015. Her PhD thesis investigated the effect of intensive pelvic floor muscle training in older women and is still actively involved in pelvic floor muscle research. With numerous professional associations, she's also the editor of the Australian New Zealand Continents Journal. I'd never heard of that. It's a small journal, but it's... Uh, all the papers in it relate to anything to do with pelvic health, p- yeah. particularly continence. Continence, mm. yeah, which we really don't talk much about. Today might be the day. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, I would say that um, continence, it's something that is so important to us as women and we take it for granted while we've absolutely. got it. And then when we go through... Uh, the normal life event of having a baby, uh, for many women, it comes as actually quite an unhappy surprise that this really important phenomenon that we take for granted is challenged and and how that impacts on our lives as as a mother of young children. Mark, can you tell us your experience of of how women deal with this? Well, it's very isolating and women Mm. feel alone and often because it's normal to be continent, in other words, not leak when you're young, it's very hard for them then to talk about it with their friends. Now, some women are open about it and that way they can get help. But it uh, really, I would encourage any young woman who is leaking to speak to a health professional and have something done about it immediately. It is not normal to leak. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, kind of I think it's probably something that we don't talk about and that there's a lot of stigma associated um, with among young women. It is. And that stigma is a real barrier to, to help seeking. Yeah, absolutely. And yet incontinence, leakage, can be cured or helped and, or managed if, it, if there's really a severe trauma. A good place to start for us non-medical people would be what's the pelvic floor? Yes, and what role does the pelvic floor play Absolutely, in continence? Absolutely, because it, it, it's, yeah. it, it's does, it actually does so much to keep you upright. That's right. So the pelvic floor is a sheet of muscle, like a membrane of muscle that sits at the bottom of your pelvis. Yeah. And pelvis in Latin just means basin. So imagine a kitchen basin uh, with an elastic membrane at the bottom. Yeah. That would be like the pelvic floor. And on top of the pelvic floor sit the organs, uh, and they're considered to be part of the pelvic floor, the bladder, the uterus and the bowel. Mm-hmm. So if there's anything wrong with the pelvic floor, there it reflects in the organs that sit upon it. So 
having some damage or weakness uh, to the pelvic floor means that you're going to get symptoms in the organs that sit on it. So that's the relationship right. between pelvic floor and bladder or pelvic floor and um, bowel incontinence. Uh, so the ideal would be that we all keep our pelvic floors healthy all our life long. Yeah. And that's where pelvic floor physiotherapists come in. That yes. we, uh, Our job is to help women keep an, a healthy pelvic floor their long, their, all through their life. Yeah. Preventatively, say during pregnancy, and as a cure when they have problems. Can I just ask another question yeah. about what it is? Is I've seen a diagram of pelvic floor and it is fascinating because we don't think of it as actually being going from hip to hip and I think you think it's, you don't know what it is because you Mm. don't think of a muscle as being horizontal and in fact it is. So back to your description, Mark, if you could just talk us through, I guess, what it looks like in terms of maybe a bird's eye view, if we were to take, cut someone open, what would it look like? It's a fascinating muscle because it's made up of many muscle fibres running in all directions, which is really useful because then it can tighten in all directions and support in all directions, no matter what position your body is in. Mm -hmm. Uh, So think of it like, as I said, an elastic membrane. Most muscles that you are aware of on the outside of your body are solid. They've got bulk to them, whereas this muscle is thin, but um, like a membrane, a diaphragm. Yes. uh, And with the organs sitting on top of it. Mm -hmm. So the fibres run horizontally and therefore are going to, when they tighten, close any of the openings that come through the muscle and lift up inside the pelvis. So it literally holds your body together. It holds you from the bottom. That's exactly right. So when I would be describing a pelvic floor exercise to somebody, I would use the words squeeze, like tighten, and lift. So they get the idea that there is a lifting action that this muscle does. Okay. So then based on what it does, how does it stretch during childbirth? Like what happens? Or with age? It's a fabulous muscle that it's made to stretch. The muscle fibres for the size of the muscle are very long. So as the baby's head descends through the pelvis, through the birth canal, the muscle just gradually stretches up to allow the baby's head to pass through it. Uh, And it stretches about three times its length. That's the most amazing muscle. No other muscle in the body is like that. And for most women, that works and we don't have any problems after childbirth. But for some women, their muscles don't quite stretch and this is enough to allow their baby to come through. And it could be many factors. Um, If we stick with the muscle factor, it could be that the muscle hasn't been healthy enough. It's not been exercised enough. Other factors might be the position that the baby's head is in or the size of the baby's head or the fact that the labour was fast and the muscle didn't have time to stretch up. There's Mm -hmm. a few uh, factors involved in the actual delivery of the baby, uh, but there's also a muscle factor as well. Mm. I think one one important thing is that, and this is, I guess, an ethos that I have in my practice um, in all aspects, but to have a holistic view of pelvic floor, especially for women who are contemplating having a baby or pregnant, because one factor is going to be the size of the baby. And to some degree, our nutrition and our sugar control, if we have gestational diabetes in particular, can influence the size of a baby and therefore can influence um, how big a challenge passing through the birth canal will be for the mother. And um, that also does impact on the position of the baby, whether the baby is likely to be uh, what we call posterior, which means kind of having the baby's um, spine to the mother's spine, um, which is the hardest position for a baby 
to to be born naturally and, and the biggest challenge to the pelvic floor. So um, one of the things I talk to my patients about in trying to protect their pelvic floor is to consider their diet and consider exercise and 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 take some preventative measures when they are pregnant. What would your advice be, Marg, to a pregnant woman who's wanting to do the best she can to protect her pelvic floor? I would endorse what you've said absolutely and totally uh, to not put on too much weight, to put on the correct amount of weight for her size uh, and not eat for two right from the very beginning of pregnancy. Oh, why not? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because fat develops in the pelvis as well as over the rest of the body and and fat takes up space and it just makes it harder for the baby to pass through the pelvis. Uh, And then there's the pelvic floor uh, part um, to exercise, not only exercise physically and generally walk, do pregnancy exercise classes, pregnancy yoga, but to also do pelvic floor exercises specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bit like if I were an Olympic weightlifter and I decided to do swimming, that's not a specific exercise for my sport. And right. for birth, you need specific um, health of the pelvic floor. So yes, do general exercise, but don't forget the pelvic floor exercise as well. Yeah, so for, I would say for a woman who is wanting to have the best possible education about her pelvic floor, it would be a reasonable thing to seek the advice of a pelvic floor physiotherapist, um, a priori for education and assistance in learning how to do those exercises. Because we, we all sometimes think we can read a book and learn how to do a pelvic floor exercise, but from my own experience, um, you know, I, I don't think it's that easy. Uh, and sometimes we think we're doing it right, but we may not be. Um, what would your feedback be on that, Mark? I totally agree. Because it's an internal muscle, it's not seen, and it's in an area that is covered up by clothes and not really looked at. Um, So how do you measure if you're doing it right? That's right. So you probably need some training in the first instance. Interestingly, though, our healthcare system doesn't really encourage that. Um, Women go to their obstetrician or their midwife uh, all the time, and unless that healthcare professional, the the primary healthcare provider, is tuned into pelvic floor, they may not refer the, the woman on or think that she's healthy enough, not having any problems of there, but you'll be okay. But in fact, that's not right for everybody. So if I were to teach somebody uh, a pelvic floor exercise, mm. I would do it like this. I would get them to sit tall in a chair. All right, let's all do it. Let's all do it, yes. See, hear the wriggling in the chairs. <laughs> um, and rock your pelvis forward so you're sitting on your vagina. And now you're sitting on the soft part of the pelvis, the membranous soft part of the bottom of your vagina. Now, the sensation that you would need to do is the sensation of squeezing in the vagina and lifting off the chair of the seat of the chair. Not lifting your whole body off, but lifting that soft central part of your body. Now let it sit back on the chair. We'll do it again. Squeeze up through the vagina and lift off the chair a little bit higher this time. Hopefully you'll now feel some tightening in the lowest part of your abdominal muscles just above your pubic bone at the front. That's a really good indication that you're doing it correctly and I hope you're all still holding. Yes, yes. Now let go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so now that's finding your pelvic floor. Well, how about exercising it? Everybody then needs to train their exercise to their own ability. And I would suggest that if you can't hold your pelvic floor for any more than three seconds, then you're probably in the weak category. So let's do it again this time, and we're going to hold for three seconds. Okay. So sit forward, feel your vagina against the chair. Now, t- 
tighten up through the vagina, lift the pelvic floor off the chair, pull up and forwards towards your belly button and feel your tummy muscles sucking in as well. Hold that for three seconds now. One, two, three. Now release back to the chair. Okay, if you could hold it for three seconds, now you're going to try a little bit harder. When you contract a muscle even harder, things happen, like you might tighten your thigh muscles, you might lift your shoulders, you might tighten around your mouth, you might breath hold. Mm. All of those things are incorrect. So... (laughs) (laughs) I was just doing all of those things. (laughs) Let's now do another three-second hold, tightening only the pelvic floor muscle and those lower abdominal muscles and remain relaxed so that if you were doing this and listening to this podcast and doing this on a train or a tram, nobody knows what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Let's go again. Sitting forward, feel your vagina against the chair. Now squeeze and lift up through the vagina, lift off the chair towards your belly button, feel your tummy muscles sucking in as well. A little bit stronger this time, but nothing else is tightening around your body. Hold it there strongly one second. Two seconds, three seconds. Now let it go and relax back to the chair. Well done. That was enlightening. Fantastic. Thanks, Mark. Didn't expect that this morning. (laughs) There are a lot of devices on the market. Well, not a lot. There are devices on the market to sort of help guide you through those exercises. What's your view on using a device? Excellent. As long as you're doing the exercise the correct way. Right. So that's why it's so important to find the pelvic floor first. And once you're doing the, the exercise correctly, those devices are fabulous because mm. you can have an app on your phone. Yep. Um, they guide you through an exercise program. Data can be stored yep. on a cloud and you can go back to your data and check your um, progress. Yep. Uh, do it pre-pregnancy, post-pregnancy. So you've got a, 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 an a idea of where you were exactly. to get back there. Okay, mm. yeah. Yeah. Another group of patients that I specialise in my practice is um, women who've transitioning through menopause. Um, And I often find that one of the things that brings women to my uh, practice to seek advice is that suddenly they've felt bladder urgency or needing to rush to the toilet more often, more frequently than previously with the loss of oestrogen. And it's only then that they stop compensating for probably pelvic floor weakness that they've had since childbirth. What advice would you have for that group of women? I'll start back a bit because getting to that stage uh, in the uh, perimenopause period is affected by what happens postpartum. So there's a lot of research evidence to show that doing your pelvic floor training after birth uh, and after each birth sets you up in uh, better um, condition to approach menopause. The other factor is obesity again. Mm. So if women don't lose the weight that they put on during pregnancy and they gain just a few kilos after this baby, five kilos after that, uh, they approach menopause then in an overweight stage. Two things happen. Of course, the big thing is loss of oestrogen, but the loss of oestrogen then can alter the character of the vagina, the the pH, the acidity, which has been protective of your vagina all your fertile life. And that's one of the reasons why the area becomes more atrophic, more likely to cause irritative symptoms and Again, the bladder sits on the pelvic floor and you start getting bladder symptoms like, I need to get to the toilet right now. Mm. So there's a pelvic floor component, there's a hormonal component and there's a weight component. They all 
meet at this age and women then need help. I've heard a little bit about the stress being overweight puts on your body. In terms of your pelvic floor, what exactly does does that do? The pelvic floor is at the bottom of your abdominopelvic cavity. Now, we've just talked about pelvis so far, yes. but the abdomen and the pelvis are all joined together. It's like a big elastic balloon between your rib cage and yeah. your pelvis. So if you're always carrying more weight there, uh, we almost go back to high school physics and look at the diameter of the, the, the cylinder and um, okay. what forces are required in there, and they are just greater the more um, the greater the diameter of the, uh, the the whole trunk, the more pressure goes on all muscles. Um, and some women can have uh, like a hernia down the front of their abdomen. Uh, some women leak from their pelvic floor. Others get backache. Uh, there's lots of possibilities of pathologies that can occur just by being overweight, overweight for a long period of time. Mm. Mm. Going back a bit, you mentioned that if someone was to have a very fast delivery, um, the pelvic floor wouldn't be ready. What What are the factors if the pelvic floor isn't ready for childbirth? Two things. One is that the nerves, that, well, the muscle doesn't stretch up uh, in time. Uh, and it's not just the muscle fibres, but it's the nerves going to the muscle and the blood vessels that go to the muscle that are also stretched and maybe torn. So you get what we call a neuropathy, a damage to the nerves. And when that happens, the muscle isn't getting its electrical impulses and so it doesn't work as well. Mm -hmm. And we have to wait for the nerves to regrow. The other problem is that the muscle can actually tear off the bone a bit. We hear in that's winter time the AFL are always have footballers are always having hamstrings tears yes. where the muscle tears off the bone and you yes. know that they're out of play for you know, quite a few weeks. Yes. Same sort of thing have can happen to the pelvic floor muscle. It can have a tear uh, right at the bone and uh, so therefore the muscle isn't working as it should be. Mm-hmm. The term that we call this, and um, people listening to this podcast might have read, and it's termed an avulsion, and that sounds a terrible word. It's a Latin Shocking word. word. Yes. What is it? What is it? <laughs> What's happened to me? Am I damaged for life? <laughs> With a word like that, yes, yes, Marg, you are. Mm. And so uh, I think as a, as a clinician that we have to be very careful about the language we use. Yes. But if we put it in sporting terms, like a hamstrings tear, yep. um, women could say, okay, footballers have something like this. They rest and then they start their exercise program again. And yes, all works out in the end. So yes, I would like women, if they hear that term, not to be frightened by it. Also not to be frightened by the word tear. Now, I've torn. Uh, if you think about it as a muscular tear, muscular tears do repair. And so they're actually quite good when you're trying to gain muscle. It's good that your muscles tear. A little bit. A little bit, yes. <laughs> Isn't that why we hurt the next day? That's right. Mm-hmm. Yes, DOMS or delayed DOMS, onset. DOMS, yes. yes. Uh, so we... Uh, we want women to think about this as you're sure that the, you know, there was a bit of damage, but it's muscular damage and muscles heal and repair and regenerate. So um, I, as a woman, my job is to make my muscle as healthy as possible, not to get uh, scared by the words that clinicians use. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes women are taught hold they've got a first degree, second degree, third degree tear. Yes, and they are. We never explain what does where, that mean. Where does that mean? How does this sit? Is it one out of ten, or is it one out of three? Am I the worst, or am I at the uh, least worst end of the spectrum? And what is the difference between? Yes, exactly. So that requires probably more than this podcast to describe. Yeah, yeah. But 
I think uh, if that's the case, we should put it in terms that people know and not just leave it as, oh, you have a third degree tear and the woman is uh, thinks I'll never be the same again. How will I ever have sex again? Uh, yeah. Yeah, but look, I think that's true and it's important that childbirth is a natural process and our body is designed to be able to cope with childbirth, but it's also a process where things can and do go wrong for some women and and really we need to talk more about it so that women don't feel shamed and stigmatised and don't um, fail to seek the help from health professionals like yourself who can really, if you do have a serious tear, if you do have a birth trauma, just to understand that help is there. But sometimes it is a bit of a long road back. And just like I often say to my patients when we talk about pelvic floor, that you wouldn't walk into a gym and have one session and expect to walk out looking like Sylvester Stallone. You've got to, if you want to, you know, kind of retrain your your pelvis, you've got to know that it's a commitment and that you may need some guidance like a personal trainer of the pelvic floor to help you get to those milestones. That's a lovely way of describing it. Mm. Yes, absolutely. We've talked a lot about before and after and what exercises we should be doing and should we be doing exercises. What about during pregnancy? There's a lot of evidence to say doing pelvic floor exercises in the second half of your pregnancy for a minimum of 12 weeks can actually prevent incontinence after childbirth and um, make your muscle healthy enough to manage childbirth. So second half of pregnancy for at least 12 weeks, but I would recommend that once you start, you keep going right to the end of your pregnancy. (laughs) Does that mean for the first trimester you shouldn't? In the first trimester, a lot of women are um, not are well. Are they do anything? Like, alone yes, exactly. Right. So <laughs> let's just leave it till the second trimester yeah. uh, because then we've got enough evidence to say the second trimester works yeah. onwards. So let's, let's leave that first trimester uh, for the woman to deal with what's happening it's in enough her body. Going on. Yes, Clearly exactly. I haven't been pregnant. <laughs> we've talked a lot about women giving birth vaginally, but there'll also be women who've yes. had a cesarean birth for various reasons, whether it be emergency or elective. What would your advice be for pelvic floor training for women who've had a Caesar? Do they still need to do it? It's interesting that it's a caesarean is protective of the pelvic floor for sure because the muscle's not stretched. But uh, if the woman has any condition um, like any of the autoimmune conditions where the collagen of their body is softer than other people, then the pregnancy hormones make a difference to the pelvic floor. So it's not 100% protective in some women, but for most women it is. Still, look, if you want a healthy muscle, you exercise it, whether it's your biceps or your pelvic floor. Uh, So why not? It can do no harm. Margaret, what if you're years away from trying to conceive? Is there anything you should be doing to prepare now if you're in your 20s or younger? There's not as much research evidence around this. Uh, If we're thinking of uh, women's health as a holistic thing, yes, look, pelvic floor exercises are good for anybody at any age. Younger women who are doing lots of high-intensity sport are at a higher risk of having um, problems with their pelvic floor just because of the, as we talked about, this um, abdominal pressure that they might build up in their sport, hurdlers or shot putters or um, gymnasts, they may have more trouble with their pelvic floor. While I'm on this topic, um, people who train really intensively, whether they are um, young women or older women, who do really intensive cross-training, pulling, pushing, um, leaping, they are putting a lot of stress through their whole trunk 
and great because it develops uh, strength through their whole trunk. But in there's a small niche of women who think that it's actually okay to leak when they're doing this intense exercise. From a more medical perspective, I would say, no, it is not right. okay to okay. leak when you're exercising, even if you don't leak in your normal day-to-day life mm-hmm. and you come and do this really intense exercise and you leak. No, it's not a good idea. So really any leaking is a warning sign? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And we have in our, um, and I know we have listeners who aren't necessarily in Australia, but we have in our Australian health system a program called a care plan and any woman who is leaking and who does need help with her pelvic floor, um, my advice would be to go see your GP and talk about it and get a care plan because you can access physiotherapy services with Medicare benefits in that context. Absolutely. Good idea. We talked about that, you know, women who do give birth naturally inevitably have some impact on their pelvic floor, be it minor or major. Uh, for women who've had a serious impact on their pelvic floor where they feel very different after having given birth vaginally, uh, how long does it take of dedicated pelvic floor physio to really feel more normal again? That's a really difficult question to answer because uh, it depends on the trauma itself and depends how uh, much uh, the pelvic floor muscle is a component in that trauma. Uh, And it may be that the woman now accepts a new normal. Right. uh, That, yes, I've had a baby. That's the most brilliant thing that my human body has done. It's created a baby. And sure, there must be some changes that occur with that. But I have done the muscular work uh, and so any muscle training, we would get a noticeable difference between four to six months. So I would ask a woman to continue maybe not as strenuously the whole four to six months, but at least conscientiously over that time uh, and then reconsider at the end of that amount of time, is there a new normal or am I back to my pre-pregnancy normal? I think that's really important also when considering surgery because one thing that we can offer women for um, assistance with pelvic floor um, damage is to have a surgical reconstruction. But I would always encourage all my patients before going forward with a surgery to seek the help of a physiotherapist and to do that hard yard kind of four to six months intensive physio because many women will at that point not require a surgery. So it's a way of avoiding... Uh, a, a, you know, more invasive. Um, it it tells the surgeon how much the muscular component was a problem, uh, and then how much other uh, organic, uh, the, the organic um, changes were the problem. Yeah, I would agree. One more topic that I just wanted to quickly ask about was pelvic instability in pregnancy. A lot of the times the hormones that women experience in in pregnancy, particularly progesterone, can make the ligaments a little bit more stretchy and women can suffer from pain in the pelvis and instability of the pelvis. Can you give us a little bit of advice for listeners who might be suffering from those kind of symptoms? It's quite a a tricky topic Um, and the pain... It depends on what's causing the pain. If it's truly ligamentous pain, it may need um, stabilising via a pelvic belt and for some isometric type exercises. So the muscles are surrounding the pelvic joints are holding the joint together, but not by movement, not like aerobic exercise, but by um, isometric or stabilising exercises. For other women, it, it is a re- 
relative rest, but we don't mean bed rest. We mean making sure that you're not standing for prolonged periods or walking for prolonged periods, that it's a little bit and often with the exercise. But a full assessment by uh, a pelvic health physio or uh, would be the ideal to know what it is. There may be some inflammation in there as well, in which case putting a belt on those joints is going to make it feel worse. Uh, so uh, th- there'd be other strategies we'd use instead. And Marg, would you recommend that a woman who's had that problem in one pregnancy and is thinking about having another baby should come and see a pelvic physio from the beginning? Before they're pregnant. Um, there's an evidence to show that if they do a strong gym program before they enter their next pregnancy and have already developed strength in those pelvic girdle muscles, uh, that they are less likely to get problems in, the, in a subsequent pregnancy. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you for that advice. It's so helpful. So helpful. There's been a, a movement in the medical field, which is really quite new. Um, it wasn't really ever discussed in my general training in obstetrics and gynaecology. As a fertility specialist, I tongue-in-cheek call myself a retired obstetrician. Um, and in my training, it was never heard of to document a consent for vaginal birth. But there has been talk about that now uh, because there have been women who have been confronted with severe pelvic trauma and who have said, nobody ever told me about it. Um, From your perspective, do you think that's something that will become more normalised as we empower women more in the discussion around um, modes of delivery? I think it will, and I hope it will. I think it's a really good idea. Uh, in the past, it was considered a, a surgical birth uh, required consent just because all surgery does. But you're right; uh, there are so many, there are risk factors in, in nor, uh, normal vaginal childbirth uh, that may require consent as well. So I hope it normalises and it does empower women uh, along the way. They get choice; they uh, consent. I think it's a good idea. Yeah, I would feel that one of the reluctant factors or one of the factors that might um, create resistance to discussing consent for vaginal birth is that it might be seen as promoting elective caesarean as an alternative because um, many women may be frightened by that idea and might think, oh, a caesar's an easy way out. And I can tell you as a woman who's had two caesareans that I would never describe a Caesar as an easy way out. I would say there's there's no easy way to have a baby um, and the best way to give birth is one that is safe for both mother and child mm. um, and there are lots of advantages to natural and normal vaginal birth such as I- improved recovery, improved ability to breastfeed immediately because it, it takes a lot out of you to have a Caesar um, and certainly there are risk factors with any operation including caesarean like for example you can get an infection you have to wait for healing time there's uh, in- issues mobilizing getting out of bed is harder you need pain relief um, healing time is really about a month until you're back to normal so you know it's not a, by any means an easy way out even though it does as we Sounds discussed, like it would be. Well, it protects the pelvic floor mm. and certainly the reasons for caesarean are, are very, very varied. Most of the time it's for the health of the mother and the baby. Um, so I, I, would, I would hope that any discussion about consent for vaginal birth is in context not to frighten women, not to... Mm. Um, to you empower know, women rather yeah, than frighten exactly, them. Yes. Exactly, exactly. And maybe one day consent will be Caesar vaginal birth all in the one form. Um, So it's consent for uh, interventions in birth. And that way we're not pushing one barrow or the other. Yeah. 
and maybe discussing it early on in the pregnancy rather than right at the end so that women can take um, preventative action and can uh, move to a more proactive rather than a reactive approach to the pelvic floor um, to try and um, make sure that we reduce injury as much as possible um, holistically. Absolutely. I In childbirth ed classes, I usually ask women uh, to plan the whole birth, like they plan their nursery, their name, the colours, but to plan their birth in the same way and think about options if things go one way or the other way and not to walk through the hospital doors and just give up all self-responsibility, that they are an autonomous being right into the birth suite. Now, Maggie, if our listeners are interested in more from you, where can they find you? Um, I'm at the University of Melbourne. Uh, I'm available on email if that's what they want. But I also would like to promote three websites that I think are very trusted. One is called Pelvic Floor First. And if you're a, an exercising person, this is a fabulous website. There's a phone app that you can uh, put on your phone and it gives you options of typical exercises that you might do for yeah, training when you're not pregnant and alternatives for when you're pregnant. Also, the website of the Continents Foundation of Australia is brilliant. They have lots of information there for uh, women about their pelvic floor. Uh, that's continents.org.au. And there's another organisation called this from the Australian Birth Trauma Association and its uh, website is www.birthtrauma. Um, so in your favourite search engine, yep. um, Google those three. Oh, those are your favourite search yep. engine. Uh, look for those three. Yep. Uh, they're all very trusted websites and you'll get some good information yep. from them. And we'll list those resources in the show notes so everyone can just click on those links as well. And, Mark, just if people wanted to see you, do you have a private practice? Yes, I do. Um, it's I'm in a multidisciplinary private practice yes. um, associated with Epworth Hospital okay. in Box Hill in Melbourne. Yeah, great. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Oh, anytime. Thanks for listening to Knocked Up. For more information about pelvic floor and other topics regarding pregnancy and fertility, you can visit womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and you can send us feedback and questions to podcasts at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and you can follow us on all the socials, Women's Health Melbourne and follow Raylia, Dr Raylia Lou. Thanks for listening. If you're a fan of the show and you'd like to hear more and also like to support us, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe on iTunes. And if you'd like to listen to an episode of a podcast we've done on Life Matters on Radio National, I was a guest there speaking with one of my patients who's frozen her eggs um, on an episode called Baby Panic and Fertility. You can find it on the Radio National website. We'll be back soon with another episode.